I'm Ryan Alexander, back here with you for another Ryan Rance, the solo pod. Uh, it's been a big week. Saturday was at the game against the Mets. Kutch did not get uh, hit number 2,000 on Saturday. Of course, he gets it basically the first uh, first minute of the of the, the game on Sunday. Gets 2,000, so congrats to Kutch. I mean, what else can you say about Kutch? Is he's basically Pittsburgh. Came back to be with the Pirates, contacted the Pirates and Nutting to say he wanted to come back. Uh, comes back, gets 2,000, and there's other other milestones coming. And you know, we talked about Kutch uh, earlier this year on on this Ryan Rance, and I know the guys have talked about him as well um, to great length. But Kutch has pretty much been everything and more that you thought um, coming back in here. Never thought he'd even play as many games as he has, and he he's been doing great been playing those games and, and doing really well and walking everywhere. I mean, the guys on, on base percentage is absurd right now. It's like uh, back in, you know, 2014 cuts. So it's great to see 2000. Um, I'm not really with, maybe not with Jim for the, uh, what he said, a lifetime contract or the, the one-year contract with unlimited player options. I don't know if I can, if I can get there yet. Maybe we can open up like a coaching role for Kutch uh, in a couple of years, but yeah, he's still doing it. Um, and yeah, just keep letting him do his thing at this point. But yeah, it was great to see 2000. Wish I would have been in attendance for it on Saturday, but you know, can't, those things always don't work out. So um, let's get into some ranting here. Yeah. So the pirates uh, decide to send Contreras to the, to the pen after I ranted on that two weeks ago. Uh, Velasquez goes down, kind of saved him for a second in the rotation and then what do you do? Give up six runs in uh, an inning against the against the A's, which was brutal. So he goes to the bullpen, see if he can figure some things out. And in the meantime, the Pirates need a starter, so they're going to call up Quinn Priester, right? Nope, they call up, and I'm not even going to I'm not even going to talk about Isvaldo Beto because the dude's 27 and he's never really been good in in any level of the minor league. So there's really no sense in talking about him because obviously we know. Priester is just the better pitcher, the better um, – he just has better stuff. He has pretty much the same numbers right now at AAA as Beto does. Has a better FIP, um, a little better walks, walk rate, basically the same strikeout weight, 9.1. But when you, you can't compare it. Quinn Priester is 22 years old. When Beto was 22 years old, he was in – uh, low A, West Virginia, single A, you know, low A, single A. And just he hasn't really been good at every level. So I'm not going to talk about him. I'm going to talk about, you know, the fact that Crin Priester should be up here, whether – and it's especially now because it's probably only going to be for a handful of starts, maybe one to two, and that's it. So Quinn Priester is in his fourth year, fourth season in the minors. I say season because he lost all of 2020 due to COVID, which a lot of minor leaguers did. So you already feel like he's a little, you know, behind the eight ball in that in that aspect. But 
his fourth season in the minor, minors. He's holding his own at AAA, not like he's pitching poorly. He's not dominating uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, 6-3, 4.63 ERA, 9.1 strikeouts per nine, which I mentioned, uh, has only given up three home runs and 56 innings, and he's just holding his own. And it's just, and, you know, people are you know, throwing it out, you know, he's not ready, you can't call him up yet. Um, he could he could ruin his confidence. We could ruin his development. His confidence could be shot after one bad start, which why is there always a guarantee that they're going to come up and it's going to be this awful start, kind of like Contreras had um, the other day against the A's. But Contreras has been, you know, uh, up with the Pirates for, you know, almost basically two years now. And he did, he held it more, more than held his own last year. So he's obviously working through it, which most major league pitchers, um, like all of them, struggle at some point. They go through a stretch where they either they struggle and they either figure it out or they don't. And then they bust out, they flame out, and they're out of the majors. So, like, that's going to happen. Now, do I believe that if you bring Quinn Priester up for a start or two and he struggles or has a an awful start, like, is that going to end him? Is, is, that, is his confidence completely shot? His development's no good anymore. You can't send him back to the minors and he's just no, not going to be any good and he's going to be out of the majors. I don't believe that. I don't believe that this one two start thing is going to be is going to just hinder his, his develop if, you know at all. If anything, I think it's going to help his development. If he comes up and struggles, that's something he's eventually going to have to deal with because like I said, all major league pitchers struggle at some point. You know, Max Scherzer struggled at some point. He got sent down to the back to the minors for for goodness sake. He went back down to AAA, came up and then just, you know, turned things on and figured it out and became that starter. And look, it's just, that's what happens. So you're either going to figure it out. You know, is he really going to figure things out and trip away where you just, you want to see him dominating? He dominated pretty much double A last year, double A Altoona, 2.87 ERA and 15 starts. Had a, you know, strikeout one, you know, nine, nine strikeouts per nine. Walk rate was lower than it is now. Didn't give up many home runs. Like he just, he already kind of had that, I don't say breakout year. But he's got the pedigree, former first-round pick. He's there. Like most major league teams would have already called him up at this point and seen, you know, how what he does in the majors. And if he struggles, you send him back. But at this point, you know, what's he really, you know, is he working on lowering his walk rate? He can do that in the majors. It's not like he's blowing guys away down there. So let him work on it in the majors. You can still develop. I know Donardo's a big guy, always yells this. You can still develop at the major league level. And most players have to, most prospects have to, because you're it's just you're gonna see things in the majors that you don't see in triple A. And it just you need to figure it out. So why not get him up here and see it? I'm not saying he should stay here for the rest of the year, but hey, maybe he comes up, has a couple good starts, and you end up keeping him up here. But we won't know that because they're just not calling him up. And everybody, I just don't it's this very select few and I say few people, but there's a a contingent of fans on, especially on Twitter and, and Facebook that just feel like, yeah, everything that the pirates do at this point, like with prospects is, is correct. And from what we've seen, it isn't because the pirates do have problems developing guys and they are known. I'm not saying necessarily Ben Sherrington is, but going back to Huntington days, even beyond that, they were always sort of known for having guys in the minors longer than they should. And you're seeing more and more around baseball 
where guys are coming up younger. Um, you know, Ronald Acuna was what, 20, 21 or whatever, when he was up in the majors, um, you're seeing younger players get caught up and Hey, if they struggle, they figure it, they, they, they got to figure it out or they don't, and they flame out or they go back and try to fix things. But I don't believe having a one or two bad starts is going to derail his entire career. And I don't even necessarily think that he would come up and have that awful, awful of a start. Why is it everybody always goes through as a negative and it's like, oh, he's not ready. Well, when is he ready? Is there just like some magical um, alert that comes up and it says he's ready? Like he had a couple good starts and he's ready now. He he lowered that walk rate to 3.5 instead of 4.0. He's ready. Like when when is this magical they're ready um, designation? It it just – I don't believe it really – you can't quantify it. You just got to call guys up when you think that they're showing enough that they can can pitch. And at the end of the day, the Pirates are in first place. They're in first place. Look at my Ryan Rance last week. The A's go in, sweep the Brewers. They beat the Rays in the opening game of that series. So apparently now we can't take the Brewers seriously, which I wasn't. But we can't take the Rays seriously now either, or the Braves because the, the A's beat them. So, yeah, so nailed that podcast last week. But I guess uh, I'm starting to think the the A's would be like in second place in this division if they played, if they were in this division and played the Cardinals and Brewers and, and Pirates all the time. But, yeah, it's just, yeah, when, when are these guys magically ready? The Pirates are in first place. They're competing this year. You need a guy that's going to go out there for a couple starts and try to win the game. I'd much rather see Quinn Priester out there than Beto or somebody else at the minor league level. Like Priester has the pedigree. He has the first round pick. He has the stuff. We know it's there. Like he's just better than Beto. He's younger. He's doing things at triple A that Beto's doing now at age 27. So trying to compare the two is ridiculous. Like the, the, the pitcher that gives you the best chance to win at the major league level or the minor league level is Quinn Priester. So call him up. Let's see what he has. And don't worry about, oh, his confidence is shot. If he comes up and his confidence is, you know, he gets he gets knocked around and his confidence goes, is so shattered that he's, you know, can't just pick himself up and, and move on, then you probably weren't a major league pitcher. And we found out now. But obviously they're going to give him more chances than just one or two starts if they called him up this month. So I just don't see the delay in calling him up. It's just the Pirates do this stuff time and time again. While other teams, you know, winning teams, we would see call him up and get the job done. So just call him up. He's a pretty, he, he's the, your best pitching prospect at this point, or at least the best one that's the closest to the majors. He's not pitching poorly at AAA. So just why wouldn't you call him up? And then, like, at this point, I, this goes back to like the Drew Maggi thing. When you see a, a you know, a call up for, for Maggi where, you know, 32, 33-year-old minor leaguer gets called up, which is completely ridiculous. And he was up here for, you know, started a game, pinched hit, had his moment, was on, you know, uh, Good Morning America or whatever the heck he was on the Today Show. Why? Like, what are the what are the other prospects down there at AAA that are, like, trying to get to the majors? Like, that's – they're still – they have a chance in their career. What's that? What's that message send to them? Like, what are they thinking? Like, what's Quinn Priester thinking when he sees Beto go up, a 27-year-old minor leaguer journeyman at this point, and he's not even pitching better than him at this point? So what does Priester think when that happens? 
So it's just it goes back to the Pirates front office doing things harder than it needs to be. Just call Priester up. He's the better pitcher. You need a, you need somebody that's going to try to get you five, six innings, get you a win, keep you in the game. And that's Quinn Priester. And let's go. You, like the Super 2 deadline is pretty much passed or going to pass this week or right around here. Like let's call him up. Let's call Indy up. Let's go. So there's my rant on the Pirates front office. Um, wanted to get into one more thing today. Not really a rant, but I kind of wanted to – do some research. So you see, uh, you know, you see things about uh, some, just some fans uh, opinions and stuff out there. And it's become a narrative that Brian Reynolds, uh, you know, hits home runs or, or is like Barry Bonds when the game's out of reach or there's nobody on base. And now that's something we can quantify. So you've seen this narrative and I even was the one, like, it just seemed like, the Pirates, I forget what the last, probably the last home run he had this season. The Pirates were down big and, and Brian Reynolds homered. And it's like, well, I got to start throwing a live bet in on, on Reynolds when the uh, the score gets uh, out, of, out of control. So I was even like fell subject to, you know, to fell victim to that, uh, that topic. And it just, you know, everybody was, yeah, it was like when Reynolds is up or nobody's on base, then he's great. And it's not a clutch situation. He's good. So I thought, you know, let me do some research on Brian Reynolds because it is it is quantifiable. We can look this stuff up. We track home runs. We track when they happen. They track everything about baseball. So I did some research. Brian Reynolds in his career, five seasons, including this one, has hit 81 total home runs in his career. And I went through, I looked up every single time he homered, basically what the score was, and I, I lumped them into three categories. So the first one was when the game was tied. The second one was when the game was in within one to three runs, either way, Pirates down uh, one to three runs or ahead one to three runs. Because, you know, considering that as a close game still. And then I did um, home runs when the score was uh, four runs or more. So when the Pirates were down, you know, six runs or ahead seven um, or more, that's when I did those. So going through his 81 home runs, he's hit 50 home runs in, out of his 81 when the score was between one to three runs. He's hit 16 of those home runs, of the 81 home runs, when the game was tied. And he's had 15 of those home runs when the game was out of reach or four runs or more. So percentage-wise, 61.7% of his home runs were with one to three runs. Uh, 19.8, so basically 20%, was when the game was tied. And then 18.5 when the game was at four runs or more out of reach. So just lumping in tied games and run when the game was a close game, that's his home runs, 81.5% of the home runs that he's hit have come in those close games or tied games. So right there, like now most batters are going to be coming up. Like you just have more opportunities in those games where the game's tied and the, and the score is close, just because that's, you know, baseball's usually within a couple of runs and, and things don't get, there's not too many blowouts, you know, very often. So obviously the majority of his at bats coming up are going to be when those, uh, those kind of you know, situations arise. But I figured, you know, 81 and a half percent is a, I think a pretty high total for your total home runs to be in those situations. So I didn't really see anything there towards the narrative that, you know, Brian Reynolds only hits home runs when the game's out of reach and things like that. So, um, and he's had two of those this year 
his other five home runs. He's, he's, had, he's had seven this year. Five of the home runs were with, with close games, and, the, and just two of them were four, four, four or more runs. So there's that. So then I also wanted to look at not just what the score was in the game when Brian Reynolds was hitting, but how has he hit with you know runners in scoring position, runners on base, nobody on base. And a little more telling, but also doesn't really fit with the narrative. But I'll get into it here. So with bases empty, he has hit 44 of his home runs, which is 54.3% of his home runs, so more than half. Now, he's had more plate appearances against that, 1,200 plate appearances. So I broke this down in home runs per – how many plate appearances per home run. So with bases empty – Reynolds will homer about one every 29 plate appearances with runners just on base. It doesn't necessarily have to be third base base is loaded. Just if somebody is on base, he's homered one home run every 27 plate appearances. So actually just a little bit more frequent than with bases empty. Um, so 30, he had 37 home runs with, with runners on base um, or just one runner and then 44 with bases empty. And he's had just slightly, um, more plate appearances with bases empty, 1,200, uh, 1,278 with bases empty, and then just over 1,000 plate appearances with runners on base. Now, so that it, that doesn't fit the narrative because you're he's really homering more frequently just by a little bit with runners on base. But runners in scoring position, this was interesting. Um, he's had a, obviously a lot less plate appearances with runners in scoring position, 530, so basically half of – um, the other plate appearances when the bases were empty or, or runners on base. So when runners are in scoring position, second, second or third base, he's hit 13 of his 81 home runs during that time, 16.1%, a home run once every 40 plate appearances. So the other two were 29 and 27. This one is 40. So he is homering. It, it does take him a little longer to homer, or he's not homering as frequently with runners in scoring position. Um, so that does speak to the narrative a little bit. But then you look at slugging percentage, just overall slugging percentage, not just home runs when, you know, runners are in scoring position. And he's hitting 471 slugging percentage, um, which is better actually than he is with ba- with run- with bases empty. With bases empty, his slugging percentage is 454. Um, with just runners on base period, 515. So that's his best. Um, also, makes sense for the the numbers of his home runs because he he homers in 27 plate appearances um, with runners on base. That was his highest slugging percentage. And then with runners in scoring position, it's 471. So he hits better with runners in scoring position um, overall, just doubles, triples, whatever. And then, but he homers more with uh, bases empty or more frequently with bases empty. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, I don't really, I don't think there's enough there to really correlate, or I guess, you know, I, I feel like Reynolds kind of gets a bad rap about that narrative and, you know, just, oh, look, you know, I think somebody, I forget if it was uh, Steele or somebody, but basically tweeted out the picture of Barry Bonds and it said, you know, Brian Reynolds when the bases are empty and it's a picture of Barry Bonds. And it, not quite, you know, he, he, he has a better slugging percentage with, runners on base and, and with runners in scoring position. Now across, I didn't go through MLB and try to find out what the average of, of all that is, but overall hitters do 
most likely hit better with runners in scoring position and stuff just because, I don't know, pressure on the pitcher, the pitcher's pitching from the stretch. You know, there's a number of factors there. Um, maybe the batter is trying harder to drive that run in than he would per to say in a, in a bases empty situation. So there's a lot there. So I think you're, you, you are going to be, you are going to see an increased slugging percentage with runners on and runners in scoring pace just across, you know, baseball in general. Um, so I think it makes sense that his slugging percentage is higher there. Um, but with the home runs, it just, whether there's a runner on base or not, there's really no difference there. Um, when they get in scoring position, maybe it's a little different. He doesn't seem to have the home runs as frequently there, but his second percentage is better than with empty. So, yeah, so I think I think Reynolds gets a little bit of a bad rap, even from me who was buying into that narrative. So I love stuff like this where you can actually look up the numbers, see what's going on, um, and kind of figure out if that's, that narrative is correct or not. Um, and here I don't really think it is. Um, one note that I did want to throw out here with Reynolds that I, that I came across during this, uh, this research was, and this is a, this is my, one of my betting notes. So Reynolds seems to hit home runs in bunches. So when he home run, when he hits a home run in the game, he has homered in the, the immediately the next game or like a game that like not, maybe not, maybe not the next game, but the, the game after that. So like every other or the game after he's hit him in like sort of like bunches. Now he's had four uh, multi-hit games in his career and 13, 13 instances where he had back-to-back home runs in games. So if he homers on Friday night and he comes into Saturday, he's homered 13 different times. And then every other day he's homered two out of three games or what have you, 10 times in his career. So I thought that was interesting. You know, we you see a lot of people will go, will bet um, to hit a home run, you know, at any time uh, before the game and stuff like that, where you're, you're getting a lot, you know, it's not minus one or even money, you're getting odds. So it's like, you know, three to one or some hitters, I think, you know, call Santana and Kutch will be like plus 560. That's like, you know, five 5.6 to one. So you're, you know, you can put up $10 and win 50 if you hit some of those. So. Reynolds hasn't homered here. Uh, I think just, I think it was like May some, some, it was like towards the end of May was the last time he's homered. So he's in a bit of a drought right now. Um, only seven home runs right now in the season, but something to look for when he homers, it may be depending on if the numbers are right and you're getting four or five to one or, or even better than that for him to homer in the next game. That might be a, a bet I throw some money on. So I, I thought that was interesting that I found out um, always looking for those betting angles to, uh, to stick it to the sports books. But um, yeah, it, it was interesting. I, I never really picked that up before just um, kind of casually thinking about Reynolds career and everything that he would, you know, he hits these in bunches and everything, but it, it seems the numbers are there that, that support it, that it, it's happened pretty frequently um, just in his five-year career. So, so a quick betting note there. And, um, but that's it. That was Ryan Reynolds. Um, so get off his back. He hasn't been that bad, but he, he kind of needs to get going this year with the uh, with the home run power and everything. So hopefully he gets going because Lord knows the Pirates actually opened up Nutting's wallet and extended him and, and spent some money. So hopefully he can keep going with those home runs and uh, we'll see if um, he hits them. But but yeah, hitting hitting them more frequently with a runner on base than without. So so lay off of them. And uh, that is my ranty pod of the week. Um, thank you for everyone for checking it out again. And, uh, 
I should be back next week. I'm sure something will tick me off on Twitter, and I'll be back, and uh, we'll do it again. All right, guys, so thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, and here's Jim's stupid face. Peace. Thank you all. Thank you for watching. I know we try to provide the most entertaining content that we can, uh, and we'd love to spread it to as many people as possible. So uh, I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but if you could take the five seconds to like this video and subscribe to the page, it helps out so much more than you know. Thank you, and let's go Bucks.